In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 hello. Ryan Roxy here and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. I'm your host and uh, well, welcome. Today is one of those shows. I'm telling you, man, I did my research. I'm excited that I'm excited that our guest is here. I'm excited you guys are all here. I'm going to wait a couple seconds while y'all get into the chat and while y'all get into uh, sort of settle down and get in your places if you want to. Um, if you are listening to us on the Apple podcast or, or Spotify platforms, please make your way on over to YouTube Live or Facebook Live and hit that subscribe button right now if this is your first time joining us for sure because uh, this is one of those shows you will want to watch and rewatch again because over here on uh, in the trenches as you know on the show we invite not only our guests but we invite our listeners to dive deep into the trenches and find out what drives these artists and entertainers and keeps them inspired and creative so today we are going to go beyond what we see in just the music videos or on the t-shirts or whatever you want to call it we are going to go beyond that we're going to do our best to discover the many different musical layers residing in our special guest. So um, I'm going to welcome right now Alice Cooper, alumni bassist, as well as winger frontman. Please welcome to In the Trenches, Kip Winger. Hello, Kip. Hey, Ryan. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. That's my <clears throat> biggest. That's my biggest introduction I've ever. I actually wrote that introduction down for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's very nice of you oh my god it. i can't believe it well welcome to in the trenches mr kip winger and uh, i appreciate you waking up uh kind of early you're on the west coast you're somewhere undisclosed place in arizona and you said there would be alarm clocks and chime bells ringing throughout the interview <laughs> where yes. are you i'm at my mom's house in the high mountains of uh arizona and she has a bunch of uh grandfather clocks that will be going off so it's kind of nice and uh yeah i'm up here visiting and there's a dog behind me you probably can't see him well we might Nelson. hear him you know what yeah, you might you might hear him barking our producer vic has a dog as well and and he sort of makes an appearance stanley makes an appearance once in a while on in the trenches as well but uh today we are here to sort of there was so much uh research i went into this interview because I just didn't want to do the same old, same old, uh, okay, let's talk about Winger. Let's talk about the, the, the albums. Cause you guys have had a huge career with just that band, but your musical career has gone, um, way deeper than that. And the big story for me that I'm the takeaway that I'm going for is that of all the rockers that I know, that, uh, you know, started off classically trained and then became rockers. You read about it all the time, whether it's Randy Rhodes or Edward Van Halen. They start off learning classical music, but then tend to move towards rock and rollers and transcend into that world. You did the exact opposite. And you're the only guy that I know that has actually done, started off as a rock and roller, then sort of got into classical music through ballet and through dance and, and then basically became a professional music composer and i find that very interesting and intriguing well thanks to you for uh doing your research because most people write in interviews that i grew up uh you know having done classical music and then turned to rock but you got it right it, i i was self-taught until you know i mean i didn't read an orchestral score until like i was i started at 35 so but i did do some studying 
early on, I grew up in a band with my two brothers and we were completely self-taught, right? So we, and it was mostly a three-piece incarnation of the band and we would do Grand Funk and James Gang and, you know, all the great three-piece. There <laughs> I am. There, right there's there. a picture of one of your first bands That's that my, you have because you grew up in a musical it. household, right? You grew up with, with jazz, uh, with jazz musicians as your parents and then sort of rock and rollers with your brothers. So was that one of the first incarnations of rock bands you were in? That is. And so my parents brought home uh, instruments at Christmas one time and, and uh, they brought a, a uh, guitar for my older brother, who was four years older than me, and drums for my middle brother. And they weren't sure what I wanted to play yet, because I think I was about five. And they, gave, they, 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 they brought a microphone. And uh, Is that a thing for then, a band? If you're, if you're never sure what you want to play, is just give them the bass? <laughs> and a tambourine. <laughs> oh, we- well, no, you know, I wanted to play the bass, actually. I was really into it. Um, and McCartney and all that stuff. And of course we were all into the Beatles, right? So Of course. Now uh, you look at that and, picture, and you can see it. Who who is the fourth the fourth Beatle? Do you remember who that was? Or the fourth member of your band right there? It looks like Dave Grohl. Well, yeah, no, that's that's Peter Fletcher on the well, I on my right, I'm looking yep. in the screen on right. That's Peter Fletcher who was we did a album, uh the drummers Nate and me, and the guy in the back is my oldest brother Paul, but Blackwood Creek was comprised of the three, Peter Fletcher, Nate, and myself. Wow. So, um, you know, we, we, my brother left for a while and we played as a three piece for years until I was about 20. And, and then I moved to New York and met Reb Beach shortly after that. Right. And, and I met Reb actually before I joined Alice. So I think you met Reb probably in the early 80s, probably the 83 or something like that. Am I correct with yeah. that info? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. We you, met at we met at Atlantic Studios uh, in Denver. I met Bo Hill, and Bo produced my band with my brothers. Right. At that time, it was all my brothers and Fletcher had left. So, uh, and then Bo went to New York, and I kind of followed him because he was my only connection to the, kind of the big time music business, and and. He produced Rat and became very oh, successful. Well, trust me, we, we have a little bit of a connection there together before we ever met officially, which was obviously being Alice Cooper's band at different times, but alumni and we met at different shows. But we do have that New York connection because I lived in New York in the late 80s. You were signed to Atlantic Records. Uh, I think Jason Flom probably signed you, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong, but I yeah. was... I was signed with Atlantic Records as well. Am I? Am I? Do I have the label oh, right at least? Good. Yeah, totally. Okay. okay. So, so I, I want to get back into the New York stories a little bit later on, but I still okay. want to go. Okay. I, I, th- with this segment, it's like you got to go back to move forward, and I, I still, I'm really interested in the history because you grew up in a musical family. You, you, you're playing in rock bands at night. Like you're 16 years old, you're playing at rock bands at night, but during the day. At an early age, you discover dance. You discover, yeah. you know, I mean, you're doing martial arts, but then it was, was dance like a natural sort of, you know, progression to that or what? It was. Um, like you said, um, thank you for doing your homework. My brother and I were, t- were taking this martial art card, Kajikenbo, and um, I had a girlfriend at the time who wanted to take ballet and none of her friends would do it with her. And she mentioned it to me and I was like, I'll do it. Let me, let's try it. <laughs> Cause I was, 
you know, I was all stretched out and stuff and I could kick my leg over my head and stuff like that. And so we went into a ballet studio and I'll never forget when I walked in the ballet studio, I saw people holding their legs up like this. And I'd only seen Bruce Lee do that. Like no one else I knew could do that. And, uh, and, but the, but there was this amazing music flowing out of the doorways and I'm looking in the door seeing this thing and I was totally like mesmerized by it. And so we started taking classes and, and, and I just completely took to it like a duck to water. I was just completely into it from class one. And, uh, that you, was in Denver. Were you actually Denver. in a dance company? Cause I mean, I, I know so little until this afternoon about ballet and stuff and, and yeah. diving deep down. Like I did dance companies. Were you actually in one in, in the so, Colorado? Area? Yeah. Well, okay. So in Colorado and back in those days, especially there were very few men that took ballet. Right. And so when, you know, to do partnering, they need men, you know, so they really were like into recruiting me and I was, it was came very naturally to me. So I got recruited into this tiny little company, Colorado State Ballet. And uh, there's it the is. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear that a lot. But back yeah. in back when we were growing up, because we're, we're around the same age, we're around this. We obviously have the same musical influences as well. But um, who was the Russian ballet dancer Was the that was the hot dude that was like... Brish, Br- I don't want to say Barishnikov. Was it Barishnikov? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he like? Uh, was he any sort of like one of your influences when it came to that, or was that just one of those guys? Well, Barishnikov was the peak of it all. I mean, everybody saw Barishnikov as the you know the greatest dancer that ever lived, especially at the time. Um, well, I think many I people was- watching our many people in the chat right now might have thought you were with the early winger videos. <laughs> you know, because well, you gave them a run for their money. I guarantee you gave Barishnikov a run for his money. Really, it's funny that you say that because I didn't take, I, I was really into dancing and I did do some performing and I, I still take class to this day. I mean, I took a class about eight months ago or it was, it was a while ago now with COVID. Um, I still l- like to do it. It's great exercise, but um I was really also very motivated by taking David Lee Roth to another level. You know? Absolutely. I mean, and, absolutely. Yeah. But when I, when I, whenever I picture anybody that's in shape front man, and I think about it, I, I always picture that shot of David Lee Roth doing the splits over the drum riser. And everyone yeah. knows that shot when I'm talking about it. Vic, do you have that shot to bring up? No, you don't. Okay. Greatest front man of all. I mean, David Lee Roth was amazing, you know? So I thought, and then I would see Freddie Mercury in tights, you know, and, and I thought, well, you know, and, and Ian Anderson too, you know, they were wearing tights and stuff. And I thought, man, I'm going to take this to another level. And, you know, I was learning how to do all that stuff. And then I just put my bass on and did the same thing with my bass on. You there know? you go. You, you, you made a li- just that little twist and that, and that became, well, maybe a blessing and a curse. You never know. You know. I took a lot of flack for it, dude. I mean, oh, I know. The, I know. Back we, in the day, it was like, you know. Oh, there. Uh, <laughs> there he is. You know what? Our producer, Vic, give him a lot of cred because we had no, this is just coming off the fly. And there you go, dude. You got that shot. That, oh, I remember that shot. I went to a Van Halen concert. I went, I think I went to Diver Down, you know, and I remember that was the first time I, 
I honestly felt I might die at a concert because it was it was way back before any social distancing, way back before it was just a a, a sea of people moving back and oh, forth. You know? They were amazing, um, unbelievable. I never got to see them back in the day. You know? Really? But, uh, okay. No. Well, you. I missed. I missed a lot of bands, dude. I missed a lot of bands. I didn't see a lot of my favorite acts. Well, you were actually writing and playing with them because you have that connection. And for those of you um, that are just joining us, we are hanging out here with uh, Mr. Kip Winger uh, from the front man of Winger, plus Alice Cooper, bassist alumni. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. But uh, welcome to In the Trenches podcast. If you just joined us, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Um, I'm moving on because of this relationship that you have with producer Bo Hill, because, again, there is a connection with Bo Hill and one of the I think one of your first big breaks it was writing a song for a band very underrated band and I love this band Kicks out of Baltimore and this album was called Midnight Dynamite and I honestly I did not know that you wrote a song on that album and I turned it on this morning when I'm doing my research and it was that was my favorite song on the album to be honest with you track I think it was track three and it's bang 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 balls of fire and wow. uh, how awesome. did that experience all go down with, cause you already knew Bo Hill from Colorado, but then you said you followed him to New York was kicks. One of those bands that you, you just got in playing with or writing with. No, man. Um, Bo was very generous in, in helping me, you know, kind of get somewhere. And he just called me one day and said, Hey, do you have any songs? I'll pitch them for this band kicks. He had, I think he produced kicks after rat when rat after rat hit, he was, you know, kind of like the guy. Right. And, uh, he did a lot of producing after that. And, uh, well, he did all the big, he did all the big wingers albums. I mean, the, 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 the first two, the, right. The first two. Yeah. 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 And, and then, and then, and then Nirvana hit right after the second album. Yeah, yeah. We were all gone. <laughs> but, uh, I, I always, I always hear that from Red Beach because Red Beach, again, another connection that we have. Red Beach was my first uh, touring guitar player that I got to play with in the Alice Cooper band in '96 when we, uh, when I first joined Alice Cooper. I think it, it was Reb's first stint with Alice Cooper as well. So you had obviously played before. You had played with Kane and and Alice and on the uh, Constrictor, and I, we're going to go into that in a little little bit but we're all sort of Alice Cooper alumni and I re- just remember Reb always saying uh you know Nirvana and a cartoon ruined my career <laughs> but, yeah, but he but he but at the same time you know what Reb Beach is has had an illustrious career he's gone on to play it's amazing with yeah yeah no it's, it's amazing with Reb Night Ranger Dawkin Alice Cooper White Snake Reb, Reb I mean he's got his couple solo albums Winger course um and i'm sure i'm missing somebody uh <laughs> he's a very humble guy though you know he doesn't he doesn't carry it with him at all it's kind of like uh he can't remember past the last gig he's done you know so well the thing is of, like you, like you said before you met him before you were in um alice then you join alice and you meet up with the other sort of 25% of winger, yeah. which is, which yeah. is Paul Taylor, another uh, yeah. uh, guy that I got to play with on the first couple tours. There's you and Alice joining him. There's Alice, now, yep. now joining Alice Cooper who's, band. Who's with, the guy in the background? I don't know. That, <laughs> I know him from somewhere. He's, he's the Russian, the Russian bodyguard. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, when I, the thing about growing up in a band with, with my brothers and having, 
gone through what it means to be in a band. I mean, there's a, there's definitely a thing there, you know, uh, and we were together for a long time since I was, you know, I think we did my first professional gig when I was eight years old. So when I met Reb and then I met Paul and Alice Cooper, I, I kind of knew that the chemistry would work just instinctively. And, um, so when I met Paul, I was like, Hey, I know this great guitar player back in New York, you know, let's put this thing together. And Ken Mary was the drummer at the time, you know, and, and actually Ken and Paul and I were trying, were thinking about doing something. We actually went to Colorado and recorded a few songs. Miles away was one of them actually. Really? And, and then, uh, and then it turned out when I went back to New York to build the first album with, with Reb that we, accidentally met Rod Morgenstein, who Reb was a huge Dregs fan. I'd never heard of him. And uh, we, uh, you know, it was kind of like, well, we ha- we asked Rod to play on the album. And then we Rod kind of joined the band very slowly. We asked him to first to do the album and then to do the video. And hey, would you tour? And then it kind of, uh, kind of just gelled into being, you know, the band that way. Because there Rod is. came... Yeah, exactly. One of the first, one of the first lineups, and uh, you know, when you you've already had this experience though with Alice, you've already had um, basically some touring, some real touring experience, being on a big stage, um, working your show. Did you know, like, okay, I'm playing with Alice now. I'm playing with I get to play in front of a lot of people, but I really need to do my thing. When was it, when did you realize it was time that I need to put my own band together? I'm going to front it. It's interesting. Um, I owe a lot to Kane Roberts, to be honest with you. Really? Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Kane for everybody, for anybody that knows him is, is a supremely insightful person. Um, so Kane was the first one to recommend that I tell Alice I would, and yeah, I'd like to join, you know, if they go touring, please, you know, call me up because I'd love to go on tour, which they did. And, and then I joined, I joined the band. And before I was in Alice Cooper, I was trying, I was shopping like a solo album deal. And, and I was really into, you know, Peter Gabriel and like all this British pop stuff. Right. And I, and I had, this was 1985 and I had written, you know, a hundred songs in 1985 that all sound like I escaped from Duran Duran meets, <laughs> meets Peter Gabriel, you know, right super, on. super complicated. Would If you listen to the song In the Heart of the Young um, off the second album, I wrote that in 85 and that was kind of more representative of the stuff that I was writing, but it was even more drum machine-y and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I got in the Alice Cooper um, and it was all about touring and I hadn't done live playing for a long time. Kane was like, it's not time to write. It's not your time to write right now. You should be thinking about touring. I was like, Oh wow, it's not my time to write. Okay. I can relax right. and I'll just tour, you know, I'm just going to think about touring. So thought about touring. And then in doing that, I, I just sat back and, and watched. Uh, it was interesting to me because I had played all this super heavy music when I was 16 years old. I mean, I was playing all that stuff. And so then, you know, I'm 26 years old in Alice thinking, wow, I already did this. This is really, this is, uh, this is completely in my blood. 
you know, uh, Megadeth open for us and Tesla and all these bands. I was thinking, man, I could put a band like this together. Like I should be doing this. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I, and I was like, man, I know this killer guitar player. And I was telling Paul, like, let's do this. Let's put this thing together, you know, and that's how that happened. And so it all started formulating during that one Alice Cooper tour that I did. We did the constrictor record and it was the, that tour. And, and you also did the raise, but you recorded on the raise your fist and yell album. Right. As well. So I, yeah. so I did, so they, they wrote the raise your fist and yell of which I had a tiny little input on that with this weird classical thing called Gale. Which is a and, precursor uh, of what's that, what's to come, which is awesome. Kind of. Yeah. 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 And in, when I was in New York, before Alice Cooper, I did take some composition lessons from a, a guy named Edgar Grana, who I did a little bit of stuff, not a lot, but I did, uh, I kind of could fake some counterpoint and stuff like that, but not really. Anyway, so I wrote that anyway. So I was touring and I thought, you know what, I'm going to jump because right now, I feel like I might be able to put this together and there's my window and it's my window. Totally. Right. Well, I, I find it very cool and interesting that, that you give Kane Roberts that credit because personally, my, my sort of insight is that you guys had more of a step brothers sort of movie. If you know the Will Ferrell and C Thomas, uh, that, that sort of relationship where it was a little bit, uh, could be contentious, but spurned on by a little bit of co competitive because he's a singer, he's a solo guy, you're a singer, you're, you're, you know, even though you're not playing, you did play guitar, but you're, you know, bass is your primary yeah, yeah, uh, instrument. Totally. There seems to be a spirited competition through there. And I, I think it's really cool that he actually motivated you to find that window. Dude, Kane Roberts and I talk at least three times a week. I mean, we've been very, very close. So you're stepbrothers. <laughs> I, I mean, it, you know, he was super encouraging, and I and and uh, and I was a fan of his stuff too. I thought, you know, guys, he's really talented, dude, man. I mean, come on, and uh, his, I mean, even right up to his last album, it's amazing stuff. Yep. Um, and he's funny and very insightful and super intelligent. So when I need a good opinion, you know, I call Kane. What do you think of this? And, you know, he's always got uh, something very valid and interesting to say. You know, no bullshit. And, uh, Kane's been on the podcast before. He's actually been on twice. He is. A, he's we're almost making we're we are debating whether to make him a regular member of the of the podcast because he is so like you say, no bullshit. Yeah. And that's yeah, the, yeah, that's yeah. the thing that Alice says about both of you guys. And it's a reoccurring theme is when he talks about your guys' sense of humor. He said that both Kane Roberts, the two funniest guys I ever toured with, this is Alice's words, two funniest guys I ever toured with Kane Roberts and Kip Winger. And when they were on tour together, it was hilarity. It was, it was a blast. It was, that's one thing I really missed. And I, when, I, when I left the band, I, I did sacrifice a lot there because it was, you know, it's a built-in headline act. No you doubt. Know, I mean, I mean, it's it's a cushy gig, man. Kip, and, uh, I've been riding the coattails for how many years now? <laughs> yeah, well, good for you because you know I'm kind of like I always think, God, I should have never got out of that band. You know, um, I've done that a couple times where I sang for Alan Parsons too, and I 
the scheduling didn't work so well and I couldn't really maintain it. And I really, you know, I regret not, not hanging into those great gigs. Um, but as but, we talk know, on, it is what as, it is. yeah, but as we talk on your story, I think it's, it's, it validates what you're doing because honestly you are a true musician in every sense of the word, because with all this rock and roll going on in your life, you're playing, you know, arenas and you, then you have major success with your own band winger. At one point you say, you know what, what really moves me and what my next musical journey is, is that clock. And it's awesome. <laughs> and I think this play is, did you write that? Is that one of those classical pieces that you might've written? No, it's, it's, it, it's, it's diatonic. It's in a major scale. I do very few things in a major scale. But, <laughs> not, yeah. So do I, I'm, if it's not yeah. in pentatonic, I ain't writing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the thing is you're taking your musical journey and this is where it gets interesting for me to it to another level where you're you start educating like you said you'd already done some classical training but then you really dive into it and you start classically training yourself and start composing actual concertos and movements and and this is what what drove you to that from playing rock and roll right so it goes back to ballet when I heard the when I heard the music from, you know, dancing um, Stravinsky, Prokofiev, uh, Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky. Um, Debussy, I was thinking yeah, yeah. Debussy, Ravel. I, I was thinking, who wrote this? I thought, you know, because I'd written a lot of songs in my life and I would always you know how it is when you write songs you get stuck and you're like, oh, what do I do? You know, same chords, you know, where, where do I go now? And that used to happen to me a lot, actually. And and you'd wait for the inspiration or maybe the moment would happen that you would just happen to to go, oh, my God, I came. I, now I have a bridge. Thank you. <laughs> and, I, and I felt like what these guys are writing this music, these giant 20-minute pieces – and hour long pieces. And they just seem to be flowing with endless amounts of inspiration. No, uh, you know, kind of repetitive monotony. And it sounds so inspired. I'm like, what, what is this? And, and I thought, you know, so I listened a lot um, because I was touring so much. I didn't really have time. And to be honest with you, I didn't have the courage to go, test myself because I thought, well, that's a big dream, dude, but no one's ever going to actually play your music. I mean, you'll never put, I never actually believe that an orchestra would play my music. I mean, I never, that was never a, I didn't have that as a goal. I just had the, the, the goal of wondering if I could attempt to write it. Do it. Well, see, you know? here's the difference between you and I. I watched Amadeus too, and I loved Amadeus, but you know what? I didn't friggin' learn the craft. You you learned the entire craft and you start composing this music and then lo and behold, this gets recorded by, you know, I got very I got lucky. I mean, you know, it's funny how this all worked out because when I danced and I heard the music, I was like, I want to write music for ballet. You know, I want to, I want to write music and have people dance. And I, I, I met uh, Christopher Wielden, who's a very famous choreographer from New York city ballet. And, um, 
when I wrote Ghosts, I sent him that piece and didn't hear from him for a long time. And then I got an email. I love this piece. I'd like to work on it with San Francisco Ballet. And that was very, very lucky. But up until then, I had studied, you know, 10 years before I wrote that piece. So How long? And, and I, I know that traditional music with verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus out or whatever formula you want to use. That that's a one way of doing it. But then with classical music, there's movements. So you sent did you send them one movement or two movements or what it what the hell is a movement for those of us in the chat and myself that don't have any idea? Well, I mean, a movement is really just a, normally a, a big orchestral piece will come in in three or four movements, sometimes two. Modern composers maybe you know could write a concerto in in one movement. You have to go back. It's it developed through starting in the 1600s. You know, so so classical music actually isn't a correct term if you want to get completely technical about it. Classical period was a certain period which entered into the Romantic period, which entered into the Impressionistic period, which entered into the modern period. And, and you're kind of always influenced by Impressionist. Is that well? I'm kind of like a post post Impressionist modernist guy. I I. I I don't love music written before 1900. My my favorite music is is uh, starting with Ravel and kind of going up until now. And mostly, to be honest with you, I try only to listen to and well to study and listen to modern composers because I it's too you know it's there's too much emphasis put on the Beethovens and Mozarts. I mean, to me, the music is great, but it's very boring because it's not harmonically challenging or anything like that. So postmodern um, impressionist, all those terms that you just use, you know what, from going from hair metal to grunge, it's, it's all relative, isn't it? You know, you know what it actually is. And the only people ask me like, how do you make the leap from, from rock to classical? And I'm like, it's not actually that big of a leap because if you think about producing a pop song, You'll have drums, guitars will fill this area in the in the spectrum. You'll have a bass, you'll have vocals, you'll have background vocals, you'll have some keyboards and stuff yeah. like that. And if you think of or orchestra, you just have to get in the mindset of of the the string section is the heart of the thing. Then you have winds to give you some accents here, brass if you really want to push some stuff or do some tech, uh, you know, interesting things with uh, th that sound and then percussion that drives. So, so this is some footage that Vic's putting up of when you guys were recording, I, it might've been ghosts. It might've been uh, conversations with Navinsky. It might, but it was definitely, you know, I can see the layers forming right there that you, that you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Right. So there's four sections of the orchestra, strings, winds, brass, and percussion. And within those four sections, there's, uh, different, uh, there's first violin, second, third, fourth, excuse me, first, second violins, uh, violas, cellos, and bass. So there's five sections of the strings with the winds. There's generally four sections, unless you get into specialized instruments like contrabassoon or something like this, or bass clarinet. Or as, as we would call 12 string bass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, four, four sections of winds, four sections of horns, uh, and and percussion, kind of how you hear it. So, and especially what's cool about writing it now is anything goes. So, um, 
it's really only that it's like learning a foreign language. You know, you have to, you have to just understand how they think. And it took me a long time to do that. I mean, do you ever go in, you remember Spencer's books? Yes. I the, remember Spencer's the, like, books. The super, the super hippie shop. Wait, I remember they, they Spencer, are, Spencer's gifts. And that's where Spencer's I got, gift. yeah, that's where I got my, I think that's where I got my lava lamp from. <laughs> well, so exactly. So they, they always had this, they always had these like 3d pictures in there that you had to like, look at for a minute it's 2d and then all of a sudden you see the 3d uh-huh. that's that was classical. very that was very much how my experience went with learning how to compose for orchestra it was like beat my head against the wall for about maybe eight to nine years before i really was like it was like wow i get it you know right. and i remember the moment that i got it and actually to be honest with you the moment I got it was after Ghosts, and Ghosts had become a successful ballet and stuff. Um, the moment I got it was I was studying with this guy named Richard Danielpour, who you should look up his music. He's an amazing composer. Um, I was I it was my fiftieth birthday, and I went to Vienna to just kind of chat, watch him work with this v- Viennese uh, orchestra for his a piano concerto that he had written, and. I, I watched all the rehearsals and then I watched the, the performance of the piece and, and I was sitting in the audience and it just happened. It was like, I get it. And then I, that's when I started working on Nijinsky. Um, and these are, these are pieces that you're working on that are giving you actually more. I mean, you've had big success already in winger, but this is giving you number ones in music. Well, it's interesting. Um, I did. I had a number one album with this and, and was nominated for a Grammy for the composition of Nijinsky. Um, that was in 2016, right? And there you go. You're, you're next to a, you're next to, at least you're at, you're at a Grammy party. I know that because of the background. Yeah, no, that was, the, it was actually 2017. 17, um, okay. And uh, that was shocking. Um, and the company I was in was shocking. And I, I was, m- it's it's a strange story, dude, because, like, I don't recommend it. It's very torturous to write orchestral music. It's really, um, it's not something, it's not fun, like, sitting down with Reb Beach. That's fun. We have fun. <laughs> just for the you know? stories. Just for the stories in themselves, of course, yeah. You know, um, just going back, uh, just a brief recap, you know, I, I – it was, it, it was 1996 and I was living in Santa Fe and the grunge thing had hit and every, all the eighties guys were out of a, out of a gig. You really couldn't play anywhere. I mean, I had a few acoustic gigs. I did a solo album yeah. and, uh, and I got a few gigs. I did a borders books tour tour. Actually, You were one of the first guys that I remember doing those solo acoustic right. coffee house type tours. And you know, that was, that was a little bit groundbreaking because now, you know, of course, these days, anybody would kill yeah. for a gig like that. You know, I've got one down and I'm traveling six hours over the next weekend just to play one, you know, in the south of Sweden. But yeah, so you were doing those. Well, I, you know, it was the only thing I could do. And the only gig I really, that we did, we tried an interesting thing. I, uh, I was working with this Japanese manager named Aichi Naito, who was a, who had originally let me and Reb use the studios to record the first album with. And he had a, he managed an artist named Kitaro. And, and uh, 
So I, I worked with him on my first solo album. Don't tell and, me that Guitaro played Guitaro play Guitaro, did he? <laughs> no. That was a guess. No. All right. It was a start and I missed. <laughs> we thought, well, let's let what if you play it four in the afternoon at Borders Books? So I did I went out and did about 30 Borders bookstore tours and played to about 10 people, dude. Oh. And so it was like from the second album where we were headlining. Well, we were never a bona fide headliner like 10,000, but we 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 could we pulled maybe four or five thousand people no during the during the second album and then like the pull record came out um after that which did okay and then after that it was like totally gone and i was playing to 10 people <laughs> so during that time i was promoting the 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 first solo record and i found a guy at university of new mexico to study what you would normally go through university to study like counterpoint harmony and all that kind of stuff did that for a while, moved to Nashville and studied with another guy named Michael Curick, who got me through ghosts. And, and, and my thing was always, um, when I was a kid, my dad gave me this book called think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill, which was a kind right, of like I, a God. I, I want to get that one. Book? Vic, do you have a picture well, of that book up? Can you put it up please? All right. That was the godfather of Tony Robbins and all the positive thinkers. Tony guys. Roberts. Oh was, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But it was the, but it was really the real deal. And in the book was all about how, if you want to achieve something like, you know, shadow yourself after somebody that's better and go find mentors and all this kind of stuff. So that was always like my philosophy was always find somebody better than you. You went to you a want. lot of places for music. You, you went to yeah. study a lot of different places because you did travel, yeah. even though you couldn't, you didn't have the time. You were you were too busy playing, you know, to ten people at Borders Books to actually join a music school. So you're traveling right. here, going to New right. York as well, right. and studying. Right. When I right it, after in 2010, I think it was I I met Richard Danielpour, and he called me actually, and he said, "I think you should come study with me, but you but you have to commit to one year, and you have to come once a month to New York for a two hour lesson." And I was like, I'm in. So I flew to New York every month for a two hour lesson from Richard. And uh, I struggled to drive a, an hour out to the Valley to take a vocal lesson with Ron Anderson, which I'm sure you probably <laughs> did too. <laughs> um, actually, I took from a guy named Maitland Peters in, in New York when I was like 20 years old. Guy, Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. But um, so you know, it's all time management, dude. It's really just about how am I going to manage my time? Because, because my whole thing in life has always been, okay, I'm on my deathbed. What am I going to be thinking when I look back? Did I do the thing I wanted to do? Did I get it done? And so, uh, you know, I kind of like project into the future, like, okay, what am I going to do now to make sure that when I'm on my deathbed, I went, okay, I did it. You know, that's, that's actually really inspiring advice because you should, every person should find every person out there has something that they do great. And if they can totally. find that thing that they do great and they've kind of multiple things through your life that you do good and just keep achieving that goal, then you're going to have a very fulfilled life at the end of the road. You know, totally. have you ever, I mean, just by talking with you all this time, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Ooh, clock. It's you're gonna say it's nine forty five. <laughs> it is every fifteen minutes. Um, I love it. For those well, of you, what I, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, we're, I, was well gonna, I, just, re, I was just going to really quickly say that you are uh, listening to uh, In the Trenches podcast. For all of you that have been hanging out in the chat, thank you so much for uh, viewing the live stream. If you're watching on and listening on Apple, you can't watch on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts, make your way on over to the YouTube channel and make sure you to subscribe because we are with, um, of course, bassist, but now moving on to musical composer, C. Well, hold on. I have I have the initials here. C. F. Kip Winger. Now I'll, I'll I'll put that out there. I know what the C. F. stands for. Was the C. F. put there as a musical composer for uh for sort of composer cred or is it rock cred or what is the? I know what C. F. is. It's part of your name, of course. Yeah, no, it is my name, Charles Frederick Winger. Kip was always a nickname, and I I just. Uh, I added the initials on my second solo album, actually. Um, Aha. Okay. Why did I do it? I, I guess it was just, it was kind of a inner division from where I was to where I'm going, you know? So, uh, so instead of Prince doing his symbol, you did just, you did your initials. I like it. Kind of like that. Yeah, kind of <laughs> like that. But you um, had to keep Kip in there because I think Kip is such a, it's, it's, it's immediately acceptable <clears throat> name. It, it, it's, it's original. And people, they don't forget Kip. It's interesting because I, when I, when I started, when I had some, when I knew I was going to have classical performances, I thought, should I be Charles Winger? Because it sounds more legit, but, but nobody knew me that way. And I, and I, and I found that um, like, for instance, San Francisco ballet wanted to use the fact that I was in rock. Okay. This is an interesting mm -hmm. uh, thing when i i didn't i didn't realize that my background in rock would actually help me in the classical world i thought it would hurt me but um and i was very intimidated by classical musicians cuz oh my god they're great and they've studied all this stuff and they know so much more they than they wear I tuxedos totally <laughs> and so i thought well if i change my name to my you know real name maybe that's a little more legit but the truth is is that classical musicians are very open minded and they want new things they want a story and all that and i and i had a story so i um i quickly realized that being kip winger was fine you know um i i'm not a i'm not a person that that you know i'm i'm pretty shy and i'm and i'm a, i don't i'm only i don't believe in everything i've done i think that i you know the things that i do always could be improved upon you know what i mean so i'm like i don't really have an ego about any of that stuff um i'm always reading a honiger score or somebody that kicks my ass thinking oh my god i should have done that you know that's where i come from but i wanted to make a point from earlier about time management and people's right. goals and bucket lists and all this kind of stuff art comes in many forms you know it's not just music and dance and sculpture and painting and stuff you could be a great real estate agent and make it your art. No doubt. You know, or anything that you do, you could be a, 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 you know, a waiter at a, at a restaurant and it can be an art. There's an art in everything. And so finding that, you know, kind of looking for the elegance in your day-to-day -day life is a huge thing. I like that. I like that. I, I, I saw a question just because I'm curious myself. 
uh, that came up a couple questions ago. How did you get the name Kip? And they, they, I, we must have mental telepathy because Vic, I, I wanted that question because I'm, I'm looking at Charles Frederick. That's the CF Kip Winger. Where does where does Kip come into it? You know, my mom just name didn't started calling me Kip when I was born. It was a total nickname. I, I she just said you were just Kip. It's just, just like a jazz. It's just like a jazz musician to call someone Kip, isn't it? And you're and you said I your parents so. were jazz. Yo, Kip, what's I up? Guess so. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, I've been called Kip my whole life, and just kind of a nickname that stuck. Wow. So one of your biggest biggest uh, classical pieces is actually inspired by ballet again, because again, we have that intertwining convergence of dance and music. And that was the conversations with Nijinsky that you, yes, that you put yes. out. And I'm just very curious about, you know, your, what was the influence and what was the sort of admiration? Because I actually went down and did my research folks about Nijinsky. He was a Polish, uh, he, Raised in Russia, but he was a Polish dancer, one of the best of his time. But his career, uh, sadly, cut short by schizophrenia. Right? And was it, did that have anything to do with the inspiration behind all this, or what was? How did it become conversations? It's interesting. I I was writing this piece of music, and oftentimes when I'm composing uh, classical music. The more I do it, the more I, okay, so how do I say this? If you play the piano, you'll get carried away by the sound of the piano. And it will actually inhibit the ideas in your mind. So what I do is I'll hear something and I'll try to sketch something out at the piano and then I'll walk away as fast as I can. And oftentimes if I come up with something cool, I write at the computer and I'll loop something and I'll just be dancing around. I'll be like jumping around the room and doing ballet moves because my initial inspiration was to write music for ballet. And um, one day, and I was reading a book, uh, I was reading several books about Nijinsky at the time. I was reading the diaries of, of Nijinsky and as I was writing the piece, I, I, I mean, I had a delusion or an illusion or whatever you want to call it, but, but I sensed him standing right there. I was like, Oh my God, it's you. <laughs> and, this and, I, and I thought to myself, wow, I'm having conversations with Nijinsky. And I thought, Oh my God, that's what this is. That's and how that was. That's born. the title right there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and from that, I mean, it's it's got it's gave gave you a lot of cred. Obviously, and more accolades, more awards with that as well. Being nominated for com- a composition uh, Grammy was was really unbelievable because that's not an easy club. Um, I was invited to be a judge the next year, and they were mean. I mean, <laughs> in, a, in in a good way, they were. But, but it's like eight but Simon he, Cowles or something like that. More than that, about twenty five of them, oh, and crap. and and, uh, and and they do not let stuff pass. I mean, it was really astounding. So I feel super honored to be in that club. Um, and I I. Uh, I don't know, man. I I just finished my first symphony. I got a commission from Nashville Symphony to do an album of me, of my music. 
They commissioned me for two. Can can, can that be breaking news? Can that be my headline? Can that be my soundbite or what? Did that just happen? Well, no, it's been for a while. That news has been out for a while. Can can we uh, pretend? (laughs) There there it is. Giancarlo and, uh, and, uh, and June, the, the guy, the, the Oriental guy next to me and, uh, uh, and Giancarlo there, um, June's the first violinist. I'm writing a concerto for him, and I just finished my – there he is, Giancarlo. He he said, come on, Kip, what do you want to write? I was like, oh uh, – and he goes, come on, what do you want to write? You want to write your first symphony? And I was thinking to myself, no, because that was just too much of a daunting task. And then I thought, started thinking, wow, my first symphony. Oh, my God, could I actually do that? So uh, – I emailed him back and said, you know what? I'm going to try that. And and it took me, well, I finished it in, I think, January or February. It took me about um, maybe a year and a half to write it. And this is what I'm most impressed with is that you're able to sort of juggle the two because you're not just writing symphonies as well. You're You're carrying the torch of Winger. Winger is still touring. Winger is still recording, and Winger is actually putting out a new record. Yeah, and so yeah. at this, at basically the same time, because I, I, you know, the, the time frame you're telling me, so you're able to do both. Is it one day? Do you have to just think in a differently total head, or do they kind of converge? You know what it it. Someone's calling. well. That's okay. You you told them it was an hour, and we've been going, but I, hopefully it's okay. Now we keep going. We're yeah. good. Yeah, we're good. Um, so that was very difficult at first. It was like, oh, how do I, how do, I do this? But um, I did a trick. So everybody at home can try this trick. If you have a couple things that you want to try, you ha- I, I, had, I bought these baseball caps. And <laughs> you literally wear a different hat. <laughs> and I wear a different hat. I love and it. I, and I thought, okay, I'm the classical guy now. And you focus. And then, oh, let's do winger. And you focus on that. And it's just about time management. It's like, okay, from these two hours or four hours or six hours, I'm only doing this. And you develop individual skills. I mean, it just, and I'm 59, dude. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, don't look at you, look healthy. Music keeps you young, folks. That's another thing. They, or, or just doing things that you love keeps you youthful, I believe. Yeah. And I, and I just, it's that thing about on my deathbed, I'm like, did I get it done? Uh, to be honest with you, at one point I wanted to drop rock and only do classical, but now I'm like, I I have so much more fun doing the rock music because to fit into the classical world, it's it's such a narrow window. You have to like get your music through this tiny little hole. It has to harmonically be relevant but it can't be repeating. You can't be faking it. You can't be copying. And, uh, you know, it's extraordinarily difficult to find that place. And you have to have a voice. Sounds like it's the exact opposite of the pop music world where it has to be repetitive. It has to be exactly like everybody else. And it just, you know, wow. So so I'm, so I, I, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm going to do this album with the Nashville symphony. I got, and I, I have one other project I want to do, and then I kind of just want to rock. To be honest with you, man, I mean, I want to, I want to do a a, a push with Winger um, over the next years, 
uh, and just really put that all back together is well with when COVID, you know, kind of when we'll see what happens. Who when knows what the new normal is? I, I think you doing exactly. all these different things is actually quite, um, it's, it's, it's a good use of your time because you don't know what is going to be the future. So you might as well, maybe the only thing you, you, we are allowed to listen to is classical music a year from now. Maybe that's the only type of live performance we can actually see. Oh my God. That was, I don't know. You know, the, there's, there's 60 people in the orchestra. So that all, well, that's all they all have to be, you know, surround. Know about, maybe the- <laughs> you said you're doing an acoustic gig. What's you're going down to do. Yeah. But Sweden's a different, a different animal. Sweden of all the countries it, we, in, and there is, I, there's, is a law in Sweden that's 49 people and below. And I've never had a problem at an acoustic show of breaking that, uh, sold out over 49, but it's, it's just kind of a small venue. But like I said, I'm taking, because I want to play in front of people as, as much as I do. I've toured, I've toured all over that area. Acoustic, solo acoustic. Now I have a percussionist, but I did it without a percussionist and I'd do it to, you know, 10 to 50, hundred people, whatever it was. And it was, they are great audiences i mean talk about good listeners unbelievable well our audience is great here and in the trenches too and in the chat that they're always chiming in with really great quotes i appreciate you guys hanging out for as long as you have um we are hanging out with mr kip winger from the band winger as well as alice cooper alumni and i mean there's so many things I want to get into before I get back into these different segments that we have where we actually have uh, questions from the chat that Vic has been collecting. Bring it on. But, uh, well, I just, one thing before, because this is another sort of avenue that you've gone, you've, you've done rock, you've done classical, you've uh, converged classical and ballet because of of your love for dance, but then you've actually moved on to doing musicals. And you've done a musical called with Damian Gray called Get Jack. And where did that idea come from? And what possessed you to say, you know what, now I want to write a musical? Because it's really interesting. And if we can play, maybe first to give the folks just a little taste of what it is. Uh, let's play a little bit, Vic, of uh, Get Jack, and then we can talk about it. Is that cool? My darlings are coming to get Jack. My darlings are coming to get Jack. My darlings are coming to get Jack. So what is that? Tell us. About <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so I had written um, rock albums, solo albums. They're more experimental, classical pieces that were fully instrumental with, you know, 20 minutes long. And I thought to myself, it's nine o'clock. You know, this is going to be, this is going to be a big chimer. We're going to, it's, It'd be great if be, confetti dropped and every time the the clock went off. I love it. You know, the clock's going to pound out not, uh, 10 pounds here because it's 10 o'clock. I mean, can you hear me while I talk over the clock? I can hear clock? you fine. I can hear you fine. Okay. I, just, I just got this hankering to listen to Clock Strikes 10 by Cheap Trick right now. You know, that's all. <laughs> um, so I said to myself, well, I want to write a bigger piece, a bigger uh, genre and it's uh, so I want to do an opera or a musical and I want to write for singers that aren't me and uh, okay. and so uh, I kind of do what I always do I throw my net out into the universe and see what comes back to me like okay universe I want to write an opera What's because I'm not a storyteller in that way I need a co-writer I need a librettist 
or a, a book writer for a musical. So I throw my net out into the universe and see what comes back. And I had met this uh, orchestrator on Broadway named Chris Yonke, who was kind of a big time orchestrator uh, on Broadway, who was also like a metalhead. And we we talked to each other for a while and, and he introduced me to a couple people that didn't really do it for me. And then I met Damien Gray first meeting on Skype with Damien. I was like, okay, I can work with that guy. This is my guy. This is, this is yeah. my collaborator. Yeah. Right. And then, and then Damien promptly said, I, I have this idea to do something with Jack the Ripper. And I thought pass, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, super spinal tap, not, not interested. Right. And then he goes, no, 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 no. I want it to be like, you know, Eric Satie in a, in a smoky club kind of vibe. And I was like, that I can do. And, and, uh, and it was a complete dude. The learning curve was unbelievable. And it was the first music I'd ever written to somebody. Uh, well, to not only to someone else's lyrics, but that the lyrics were written first. And so I get this giant, uh, set of lyrics or recitative and I would think oh um, how does this music go and it was very freeing because I could just write a sentence and then change the timing and and um, write the music completely to the words and it was really interesting I found it super creative and I and I felt thought to myself wow this is this is awesome I mean Little did I know it would take me three years to finish it. And well, musicals still, probably you know, do. They take that time because at first you have to have the good story. And I think you guys do have it because it's the ultimate, especially for the timing. I mean, it's weird how serendipity happens and it's just like things happen for at the right time. But this is all, the ultimate me to revenge story. It's basically a story of like Jack the Ripper's first five victims, I believe it is. And yeah. they all come back to life from the dead to tra to track down Jack the Ripper. Now, if you, if that's not me to revenge, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to make it about the women, you know, so it's not really a Jack the Ripper story. It's really about the women. So, um, can you name those five victims? Cause I, I I'm cheating cause I have notes, but <laughs> Oh my God. You know, yeah. Yeah. Mary, uh, Mary Jane Kelly, Annie Chapman, yeah. Um, Damn. Good one. Uh, Elizabeth Stride. Elizabeth Stride. Uh, Catherine. Yeah, Catherine Eddowes. There you go. Um, you got him. Um, there's one more. Okay. Um, um, there's another Marianne Nichols, not Jared James Nichols, Aunt Marianne Nichols and uh, Mary Jane Kelly. Those are the two, you know. And so, so we, you know, we have got readings going. We've had several readings. We've had it workshopped and we have a great director, Kelly Devine, um, and we're getting it underway. Now COVID has decimated the whole genre. So we don't know when we'll be able to get anything back up and running, but um, it was very interesting for me to have eight. So there's, there's three men and five women in the, on the soundtrack album. So it was really an interesting uh project for me to write for other singers which I'd never done before and uh, I found it super creative and I and I also was able to marry the classical thing with the rock thing 
So it was the one genre where I can put like all the things I've worked on You're into right. one one yeah, place. It's all in one place. If you if in those of you that are in the chat and those of you that are listening on any sort of platform that we have right now, this is in the trenches. You can go check out some of uh, Kip's wingers of. Uh, you can check it out. Get Jack at www. I don't even say www. That just shows my age. Getjack.com. It's yeah. get, getjack.com. You can uh, find out more information about the musical as well. Um, so we are sitting here in the trenches. I mean, like I said, I'm not even, I'm just getting started because I, like I said, I was very excited to, to do the research on this because there's so much more I feel to what you do than just your time with winger as yeah, the band yeah, thank you. and and the videos that that people uh might see or might not see or whatever it is that it does seem that that little microcosm of time is it's not your career this is your career is your passion you've been talking about it all day yeah i appreciate you it's really nice of you to 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 you know shed light on that because mo- a lot of people think I'm like Mr. 17, you know, uh, <laughs> which, and is that, that hasn't been an albatross, has it? I mean, that song is not, definitely something you couldn't do in 2020, obviously, but has it been, or has it been a door opener or a door closer? Only for ignorant people, I think, because the, the, the song was just a fun pop song. I mean, McCartney said, well, she was just yes, 17, 17. And, and there you got it. Uh, with six, what was it? Sweet 16 by Kiss. Christine 16. Christine 16. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was just, you know, you know what? To be honest with you, I stole the title from Kingdom Come. They had a song on their album called 17. There's the my soundbite. There's my soundbite. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I was out of ideas for lyrics because lyrics are hit and miss with me, and especially back then. Yeah, and I thought, man, I need a title. Look, let me look at this Kingdom Come album. I'm like, oh, 17. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll steal that. You, know? you can't copyright a song title. I learned that from totally. Gene Simmons. I had, totally. a, I, I was in a band called and- Electric Angels, and and we had a song called uh, "You Put the X in Sex," and Bruce Kulick. Uh, produced our video, our, our demos, and then six months later, Kiss had a song called "Let's Put the X in Sex." So there, there you go. go. Yeah, there you go. Imita- imitation's the highest form of flattery. Yeah, I, I never call it ripping it off. I call paying homage. That's what we do. Totally, totally. <laughs> can't, so can't can't get enough. <laughs> I love it. Bad um, company. <clears throat> that's true. Let the people speak. That's the segment that I want to get into because. The, all throughout the chat, people have been uh, diehards. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us and putting up amazing comments. Uh, Vic has been collecting a lot of these questions. And our first one called from Let the People Speak for Kip Winger is from at ribbon underscore bear. What's the most important lesson you have learned with Alice playing from Alice? Have you learned any lessons? I definitely have. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, Alice is is the blue blood of our, uh, you know, American rock. Uh, what I learned from Alice to be very generous. Alice is extraordinarily generous. When I left Alice, everybody thought I was crazy. And Alice was the one that said, you should totally go for it, dude. Really? Go do your thing. Yeah. I love it. There it is. Alice giving, you know, giving you the push Alice and Kane. Well, Our next question would be uh, at from at Shuvam the Backer. 
and you've heard this before, maybe is rock and roll dead? Is it really rock and roll dead or no way? The rock and roll is alive and well. I mean, there's so many new bands, um, young bands that are, that are just killing it. So absolutely not. The spirit of rock and roll will never be dead. And by the way, the spirit of rock and roll is in my classical music. I mean, that's what I bring to classical music is the spirit of rock and roll. Um, that's great. So, you know, absolutely not. And it never will be. I think there hasn't, there couldn't be a better time. You talk about these Corona times and where we are being stuck inside. There couldn't be a better time for a young band to come out with an attitude and a message. Absolutely. And and I tell every single young band that sends me their stuff, I say, look, if you can take the attitude of whether it's a young Guns N' Roses, a young Nirvana, and who knows, a young Beatles, you take all those bands and you just get the attitude with a message and you're going to be successful, especially in these times. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And it'll never die because it, it's it's in the spirit of humanity. I love it. Well, our next question from at Farmberger at a New Winger album. Well, we touched on it briefly, but uh, what are the plans for a New Winger album being released? Right. So Reb and I got together in December and wrote a few songs. Um, we had put some Instagram posts out from that time. We, you know, we've got. Uh, we actually came up with a couple really good ideas uh, and a bunch of really not so great ideas. But um, right now we have what I could say are four really uh, decent songs that that reach the bar of what I'd like to put out. And then the COVID thing happened. And so now we're doing a little bit of file sharing, which I don't love. I like to be in the room with people when I make a record. Yeah. So we've we've been sending ideas back and forth, and uh, we're planning our next ten day space because we normally get together in ten days, and we burn out in ten days. So we'll get together for ten days and see what we come up with, and then uh, you know we should be done. It should easily be out by January. There you go, in January. Good answer. Well, you've worked with so many. You've worked with so many producers. So I understand that, uh, that line, that lane you're taking with not liking the file sharing because you've worked with guys like Bo Hill. You've worked with Mike Shipley. Um, you've well, worked. Let, let's just take a minute. Yeah. 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 He's yeah definitely- Mike Shipley. I mean, rest his soul. Yeah. Mike Shipley is the Picasso of mix engineers. There will never be anyone in my opinion that is as good as Mike Shipley. He was absolutely Van Gogh of, I mean, the guy was unbelievable. I learned how to make a record from Mike Shipley. There it is. Mike Shipley was, getting high praise from, uh, yeah. Hip yeah. Winger Cause here. if you listen, if you listen to the pull album, that really is the identity of the band. Even though the first two records were very successful, it wasn't until the pull record when we really found our voice and, and I couldn't hear before that record we were in the studio with mike shipley and reb would be playing these rhythms and mike would be going you're rushing and we'd be like what (laughs) and he was because reb would lay down this wicked guitar rhythm and mike would be no man you're rushing and and i couldn't hear it couldn't hear it couldn't hear it and then all of a sudden just like that black light poster 
It was like, yeah, oh my everything God, came together. he's rushing. I love it. And so you start to hear all these micro nuances in the music that when the ball hits the ground, boom, that's the beat. There's no, the beat's not there. The beat's not there. The beat is right when you hit when the, the thing. The it's not when you come back. And, and it was like, oh my God. And uh, engineering, mix, all that stuff, I learned how to do it from Mike. So I can't praise This is the early days of Pro Tools, or maybe not. Maybe this is tape recording. So this is like... This is old school recording. I love it. I love it. Well, now, with the newer stuff that you just put out, because you did do one of those, you know, COVID isolation videos. And I think we have a clip of that. Is that, is that you producing uh, this track, the yeah. better days coming and maybe has a little bit of that, you know, influence that you took from Mike Shipley. Um, maybe we can play a little bit. Go ahead. Talk the problem it. is, is it takes me a long time to make records because I worked with Mike. I mean, and Mike <laughs> worked with Mutt Lang for, you know, 18 years or whatever. And it's all this very precise stuff, which works for me. It's like classical music. It's like you need to know if you put a score in front of an orchestra and you don't have the exact articulation on the oboe, you, ha- you need to know that or else it won't get performed the way you want. It's the same in music production. Now, that's not a value judgment because uh, a punk band that just jams out a song one time through can be every bit or more exciting. Yeah. Uh, so there's no judgment on, on better or worse. That's just my way to, is what I need to do before it sits right in my solar plexus is to get it exactly the way I hear it. And that's my way. But, uh, well, this video that, that you, this video that you put out was, was a, a pretty cool compilation, uh, better days ahead. I, can you talk a little bit about it, who you involved and how did it come about? And, uh, Obviously, we'll put the link up where people can see it, but we're going to play a, a clip of it first, and then you can talk about it. Vic, do you want to play that clip? While we- <laughs> who's not in it <laughs> i'm not in it but that's probably the only musician that isn't jesus all right I, I, okay vic thank you for playing that clip and if you would have seen us behind the scenes you would have seen some me going no what's going but then i saw alice on there i mean what was the whole idea behind the project 
So the song came out in 2015. It was the title cut of our of the last Winger album, Better Days Coming. So um, with the COVID stuff, um, we were trying to figure out, like, what can we do here? You know, let's, uh, you know, like everyone else is doing, let's put a thing together. And, oh, well, let's do what song would be good for this? Better Days Coming. Oh, yeah, let's do Better Days Coming. Cool. And then I thought, which, oh, my God, it'd be so cool if we could get some people, other people to sing on it. And so I started asking. Everyone said yes. I was like, oh, my God, let's turn this into some. Then I started going, God, I wonder if Alice would do it. Oh, my God. You know, and then, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Because that one line, if you want it, come and get it. I was like, only he can sing that. Right. And uh, and then I thought, you know, oh, it'd be great to get Klaus. And I, I called Eddie Trunk and said, man, do you got a contact for Klaus? Yep. And, I saw and Klaus, Klaus said, yes. from Scorpions. And then, you know, yeah. Alan Parsons and, and uh, Damn. and uh, you know, all, all all my friends that we tour with all the time, and 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 everybody said yes, and so uh, well, we were you, lucky, and it was just a fun message. I mean, I I, that, I was really happy with the way that turned out. It was all right. so much fun. So maybe we'll get that we'll get that link on uh, up there with Vic can put it up there if anybody wants to see the entire version without me freaking out backstage saying I want to get to the next part too because it obviously when I saw Alice. I wanted to get to our next segment, with, which is something that he tells me a lot, and I don't know if he told this to you when you were on the uh, Constrictor tours or whatever. He would always say, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So we put a segment out on In the Trenches because, wow. as you know, that Alice does like to embellish some stories sometimes, and this segment of the show is dispels rumors or myths or controversies surrounding our artists, and our artist today is Mr. Kip Winger. It's all true. It's all true. Okay. Well, wait, wait till I ask the questions. Um, okay. My first, my first question of this now, never let the truth get in the way of a good story is, did Alice Cooper actually name the band winger? No. Okay. That's not true. Not Alice. True. I, I didn't like the name winger. I didn't want the name winger. The name of the band was Sahara. And you can see on the front of the album cover at the bottom, right. It says Sahara. Um, what happened was we were Sahara, and and uh, Where it says. Record- oh, I, I can see it now. I, you know, yeah. that's one of those things. I'll be honest with you, Kip. Last week, uh, Rick Nielsen was on the show, and he told me that there was a, a a copy of In Color in his back pocket on the album cover of Heaven Tonight. I had never seen that. Just like this right now, I had never seen Sahara on that bottom. Yeah, so we were that was the name of the band and uh um shortly before we went to print we got a cease and desist letter from a band called Sahara. We were like, "Oh my god." And if you remember back in those days it was like coming up with a cool band name was impossible. <laughs> Nowadays it's you know, so many fresh and cool names, but um why is that? And and I can't remember. I think maybe the president of Atlantic said, why don't you just call it winger? And I was like, man, I didn't like that. And every rev was bummed. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and Can then we call Alice, it beach? Can we call the band beach? Yeah. He wanted winger beach. <laughs> and, uh, and then Alice, Alice said, man, that's a great band name. You know, 
so he did say that. So he gave you the endorsement. He didn't. He say, gave me the endorsement. And when Alice go. said, "That's a cool band name," I thought, "Well, maybe it's cool enough." You know, and, and when you ask Alice, you know that whole thing. Go ask Alice. When you, when you do ask Alice, he does give you the endorsement. It does seem automatically validated. It's cool. It totally does. <laughs> I, mean, I feel. Listen, I feel really honored to be associated with the Alice camp. I mean, it's huge. No doubt. Any anybody that's part of the Alice Cooper legacy, and as cool as as how much we all sort of get along, because we know we all know whose name is on the marquee, and we all know that he's responsible collectively for being the guy all those years. We've had something to do with it, but oh, he's he's a very benevolent ruler, and you want yes. to give him that. You want to put him on, support him on his pedestal. He. he he encouraged, he makes you feel endeared to do that, which is amazing, you know? And, uh, I, you know, have- I, I suggested a lot of people for his band, uh, Reb and, and, uh, Jason Hook. You and, did. Well, and, here we go. Here we go. This is becomes now, now don't, I don't want you to give anything away because it might lead into my next question. This is perfect. My okay. question too, my second question, my last question of never let the truth get in the way of a good story, uh, is, did you, Kip Winger, actually help Nita Strauss get into the Alice Cooper band? Yes. Yeah. I was the one Fact. that made the call. There yeah. it is. Yeah. There you so go. What ha- yeah. So what happened was um, I was talking to my accountant, uh, business manager, Joey Minx, who manages the Donnas. And he said, wow, I just got a call from the Alice camp. They wanted uh, Allison, the guitar player for the Don is there looking for a female guitar player because Orianti's leaving. And I was like, I know the person because I had just met uh, Nita and Courtney on the rock and roll on the Monsters of Rock cruise because I was working with a guy named Jason Green in Vegas. Uh, through I'd met Jason through Rock Camp and Jason was kind of managing them, but not, I mean, kind of like working on it. And he said, uh, you know, can I introduce you to them? So I met them. And, uh, when Joey told me that, I thought, I know the person to do that. So I, I called, um, I think I, I emailed Bob Ezrin and Shep. And I said, I think I have the person for you. And then I got Nita's contact, texted her and said, Hey, I got a gig for you. And, uh, talk about a person that, was able to make the best of an opportunity. And that's, yeah, yeah, that, that, I mean, that is making the most out of an opportunity given. And um, I always, she totally lived, she totally lived up to it. I mean, yeah. You know, and does live she, up to it day in day out. I, Cause like I say it's such a yeah. great band member to be a part, to play with night after night. I love, I'm yeah. never, uh, um, I always give Tommy Hendrickson credit, Nita Strauss credit myself, this triple guitar player. Of course we have Chuck and we have Glenn Sobel that rounded up, but it's at the end of the day, we are the supporting cast for Alice Cooper and yeah, the but Alice I, Cooper I, listen, I will say, in my opinion, it's the best incarnation of Alice Cooper. I've seen you guys play. It's absolutely awesome. Really, Thank you really very much, good. Kip. That's the, and we did not pay you for that. We did not. Yeah. In the no, trenches no, had nothing no. to do with. <laughs> I'm glad we got that out, though, because those two facts or fictions are, are, you know, the first was half half true. Alice gave you the endorsement, but he didn't come up with the name Winger. Winger was there. And then uh, you, you did have a, a good, you gave a really good endorsement for Nita Strauss as well. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, she, she ultimately got her it gig. Was, it was obvious yeah. that she, you know, 
Um, and it, I, I don't know what happened when, from the first rehearsal on, but I, I, uh, you know, I was definitely involved in getting her in the band, but like I say, I mean, she lived up to it. I mean, she really, uh, she, she got in there and just. And continues you know, to do it, so. You know, you, the thing is, is, you know, you can open the door for people and it's up to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's uh, I, with my experience with Alice Cooper, I, I do give uh, give uh, Gilby Clark a lot of credit because it was uh, great. I love Alice. Gilby. It was Alice Cooper that would that had seen Gilby and myself play, and he said, "I like those two guys," you know. And Gilby couldn't do it; he was still um, signed to his own labels. But but Gilby gave me the complete endorsement. He says, "You got to go out and get this gig," and I always give Bobby from Mates credit as well because Bobby you know he's that guy hanging out if, if, for those of you that don't know mates rehearsal is one of the I'm, I'm sure winger practiced there many many absolutely yeah. love Bobby he's amazing so I, I, I give those two guys and plus everybody else that ever said a good word about me with in that day but at the end of the day like Nita I went in there and got that gig you know it was it was and, and it wasn't and here it, you are well here I am you know interviewing yeah, I mean, you yeah. well no <laughs> like I mean, got that you know, hat you on you live up to it. I've opened the door for a few people that didn't live up to it. I mean, you know, there is a, there's, you, it's, all you can do is, and I, and you know, Kane opened the door for me. Really? Yeah. He was the one that said, Hey man, well, Bo Hill. Right. And, uh, and, and Kane then got opened the, well, to credit where credit's due, Bo called me and said, we need bass on four songs for Alice. Get up here right now. So Bo gets the credit for that. Then Kane was like, if you want the gig, tell Alice, you know, and then, you know, you walk through the door and then it's up to you. Man. Do you have, do you have very fond memories of those tours uh, that you did? Because when I, when you look back on it, it wasn't a huge amount of time. It was a, it was a, you know, it was a finite amount of, of gigs, but do you have really good memories of that tour? Cause it was such a massive tour. Oh dude, it was amazing. I mean, for me, it was a complete dream come true. I mean, I'm uh you know, I was waiting tables in Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, four months before we, we played live on MTV for 16,000 people on that live DVD. That was the first gig we did, dude. Four months yeah. before I got the Alice Cooper gig, I was working a liquor store in Beverly Hills. I was working at Beverly Thank Hills you. Liquor. So exactly. We have very similar stories of that and then sort of snatched out. And so yeah. your first show was that big special, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And the amazing thing about Alice is it's hit after hit after hit after hit. And even the deep cuts are hits because the fans are so rabid. And the, fan, and the fans have been supporting us all throughout this entire podcast today because we have been hanging out with Alice Cooper, alumni bassist, Kip Winger, as well as uh, Winger frontman. But we've, as we have found out, uh, a musical composer uh, as classic composer as far as writing musicals and as far as is what's the next what's the next goal do you have anything set right now i don't i don't i'm i'm done with the goals i i i uh there's a few pieces i'm while well, i'm finishing for nashville symphony and i and you know finishing the the records with you know i do i want to do another winger record another solo and you know just keep writing music as i as I get older, but life goals, you know, I'll, you'll, you'll find me, you know, later in life, you'll find me walking the streets in Paris. So, <laughs> you know, um, I feel pretty content right now with the, I don't want to go outside of what I'm doing right now. Um, 
uh, within the things that I'm doing, I'm just going to keep working on that soup. Nice. Nice. And as people want to get in touch with you, people want to follow you, find out more information. I'm going to have Vic put up all those, uh, links right now. If you want to just say them so the people that are listening on the audio podcast can hear as well, where do we get in touch with you, Kip? There it is. Uh, at Kip Winger, um, Kip Winger, Facebook, uh, you know, uh, you know, at Kip Winger, Winger, the band.com. Basically just and, Google uh, Kip Winger and you'll find out all the, all the stuff that you want, but at Kip Winger on Instagram right now, I hope you guys go out and, and uh, support and, uh, you know, follow right as soon as we end this podcast because we have been uh having a good talk today and i really appreciate, I appreciate you it. man i really oh, man. appreciate yeah. you yeah, i appreciate you, you i appreciate you ryan it's uh it's rare to do an interview where somebody's this well informed so i appreciate that well you know what i it's, it's vic has done a great job with all the overlays and all the pictures uh it's been inspiring all week to see our uh rga as we call them the roxy guitar army been supporting you i know that not all the uh <laughs> Not all the ads and posters might have been up to your, uh, you know, what you wanted exactly. But oh, you know no, what? No, I think yeah, people fine, ended up no. getting more than what they expected because you know what? Regardless, it is part of our history. Um, you know, I have a I have a shirtless shot of myself doing a sun amp. Um, you know, that I'm going to put out. I might not use it as my current sort of thing, <laughs> but. For the bells are tolling, that means that we have to sort of close things out with Kip Winger. Hey, everybody, thank you for another great episode of In the Trenches. We will be uh, debuting and we will be announcing who our next guest is. But you know what? I want to savor this moment. Kip, any parting words for anybody else that's out there? Just uh, thank you for supporting, uh, you know, my music and everybody else out there. For all you people that, uh, you know, uh, have been keeping the faith we appreciate you no doubt and keep on keeping the faith all right more uh winger music coming out soon as well as classical music from kip winger and uh, there will be another episode of in the trenches next week so until the next time folks enjoy the ride in the trenches with ryan roxy hello